Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. I promise you, we will talk about anime today, despite the fact that Elden Ring came out Friday, and that's, I think, all <laughs> at least me and Iroh and G have been doing in our <laughs> spare time here. But uh, I mean, honestly, we... the only reason I'm not playing it is because I plan to crib Iroh's copy, and it would be very rude to play it while he's playing it. So You, you need him to make the... Okay, yeah, so... Yes, and Zig, as as a, as another recent someone who recently got into the Souls games, uh, you'll be joining us soon enough, I'm sure. But <laughs> eventually, let's say eventually. But uh, but yeah, that said, we did watch anime and have quite a other did. things to talk about. So we'll we'll get we'll get to all that, and uh, you know, let's get into it. So to introduce everybody, I'm Gel. I'm joined by Iru. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. Although I've died many times in Elden Ring. <laughs> but I keep yes. picking myself back up. Uh, in the real world, you're still with us. And uh, G, we're joined by G. Fuck Crucible Knight. All, oh my, my, homies, God, yeah. all my homies Fuck hate Crucible guy. Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I've gotten there yet. But okay. uh, yeah, I'm still a little bit behind you guys. But, uh, and, uh, uh, we're he's also in Limgrave. He is in Limgrave, so okay. he, is, he is around there. Maybe I haven't. Yeah. I've I've covered most of the first area, but I'm sure there's some things I still haven't done yet. But anyway, we're also joined by Zig. Hello, I have obtained the most important part of the Elden Ring experience purely from Twitter, where I saw a screenshot of somebody who had dumped a corpse in the lap of another corpse and then left a bloodstone message that said, Great head ahead. So, you know, that's the authentic experience. Right There's there. a lot of... I I, I had have forgotten seen... how fun it is to play a From game at launch with the online component. Because Sekiro didn't have messages, so, like, Sekiro mm-hmm. was a much lonelier experience. But going going getting into El- going into Elden Ring and just everybody just shit-posting every ten feet with online messages is, is an experience. Yeah, Mushroom. Yes. <laughs> Praise the Mushroom. Uh <laughs> There's a lot of reoccurring ones. Yeah, uh, th- th- those are the tame ones, but yeah. You know, uh, yes, a lot of uh, butthole. Yes, uh, butthole <laughs> um, messages. Some uh, any anything around a female uh, I've character. I've seen a lot of uh, Fortnite. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> Yeah. Which yeah. made me laugh. Uh, there have been, like, some of the stuff I've seen, I've seen a fair amount of the old standby amazing chest ahead. Yep, so. yep you know, don't don't give up Skeleton, the classic. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if we want to say a few brief words about our first impressions on Elden Ring, because that is a big deal. Um, I, I would say first impressions for me are positive. Yeah, very... I'm really impressed I, by it. Do you guys like the transition to the open world? It seems yeah, to be working. I guess, uh, yeah, uh, I guess Eero and me are. We, I guess we're the two who have probably played the most. Of you're these you're games the veterans here. Um, yeah. You more than me, but I'm probably I, second place. I, I think technically, I <laughs> you have probably technically beaten more from games than I have. Uh, technically, because oh uh, uh, yeah, no, you didn't. Okay, I I think I did. I did one, two, uh, Sekiro. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and. Uh, I, got, I almost got the end of Bloodborne. Like, and then the DLC yeah. So I, I, I did. I did one, three Bloodborne, Sekiro. Okay, there we go. Yeah. I, I but, mean, um, you, I mean, the formula. 
the way the formula works. You play one, and you at least get the idea of what the form, yeah, how the formula sure. works. Not that the but, games are all the same, but I think I was really impressed because um, it's not that I was like against the idea of an open world Dark Souls. In fact, I was very interested in it when it was first revealed. But I think there was definitely that trepidation at first of like, oh god, I don't really want like Ubisoft towers in a in a right. Game. Like that's not really what I'm looking for. Like I don't want to have to climb towers to like. You know, <laughs> reveal mm-hmm. portions of the map or whatever. I, I don't want to do think... racing mini games in mm. Elden Ring. <laughs> right. I also think that so. part of the appeal of those earlier games is sort of the masochistic grinding against the critical path. You know, like yeah. there is only one way, and you have to get through it. You know, blood, it, it sweat, creates, and tears. It creates and... a shared experience. Like everybody, right. everybody knows Sense Fortress. Everybody remembers the Silver Knight Archers of of Inner Londo, right? Like there, are, there are these specific bespoke experiences that are intrinsic to these games that are shared by a community because the whole anybody who played those games had to do those things, right? And so an open world game potentially dilutes that. But I think. Just the conversations that Jell, Iro, and I have had about Elden Ring kind of bring a a different but equally compelling like formula to the game of like we're, we're just having like really like divergent experiences, right? Like everybody. Yeah, I mean that's been part it. of the the fun talking about it has been. Oh, I found this boss right. or whatever over here. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's really cool. I, I think they've done a really good job of justifying the framework for this game. Yeah, I, I think so too. Just, yeah. Just, I think part of... Probably my favorite part of Souls games is often the, like, quietly, carefully exploring an environment, and now you are quietly and carefully exploring, like, everything, like, the entire thing, as opposed to, like, you have to get through this castle to get to the next castle. It's like, here's this whole field that you can carefully explore and look at the weird stuff off in the corners. Have uh, any of you found the poisonous swamp yet? Because there there's got to be poisonous one. Swamps. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, there is poison. Um, there is a, there's a whole portion of the continent with yeah. a new status effect that's basically super poison. Yep. Uh, oh I God. mean, Dark Souls also had super poison. Okay. What about doubling and tripling down? What if poison had the the, cat, the 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 traits of the bleed status effect too? Scarlet <laughs> um, rot. Yeah, scarlet rot. Of if you get if your if your scarlet rot meter fills up, not only do you get poisoned, but you also take the bleed style huge chunk of damage. <laughs> it's yeah. frenzy. Also, has made a comeback. Yeah, oh boy! Everybody's favorite status. I, I learned frenzy. a spell where I could shoot. Oh, you got that one? I yeah, could shoot yeah. <laughs> spirals of fire from my eyeballs yeah, that frenzy cause frenzy. Eyes, yeah. It is actually oh, I love maybe Dragon Ball. my favorite pyromancy in the game so far. Yeah, just like... uh, one thing I have been interested in, which I haven't heard much talk about, is do you detect much George R R Martin in this, or was he mostly um, cashing a check? I think when you go to the when I go. When I go to the hub area and I see the main visual set piece of the hub area, yeah, that feels like very, to uh... me. I go, ah, hi, George R. R. Martin. Yeah. I mean, is it the tree? The, <laughs> no, it's 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 hard to tell because, like, I mean, I'm I don't I can't claim to be the biggest George R. R. Martin right, yeah. scholar or fan. Right. I don't really here. know like his, you know, what are, what are the marks of his style? You know, beyond what many of us have seen from Game of Thrones, but. 
it's not Game of Thrones. I mean, I could say that for right. sure. Like, it's it's not it's not that tone. It's not that vibe. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to tell. Like, in a lot of ways, this just feels like what Miyazaki has always been good at with fantasy. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's just a there's that melancholic tone <laughs> that, yeah. that per- permeates his fantasy stories. I mean, so, those stories are always about, like, an end of an age, a kingdom dying, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, a sort of teetering on the edge of calamity. Like, that, that's you know, pretty much a house style. Right, like, this is not to spoil anything because this is literally, you know, the opening movie of the game, but, like, the game takes place in a world where someone or something has attacked and dethroned God, you know? like it's... Shattered the Elden Ring. Exactly. Like... Oh, I love Demon Souls. <laughs> but, yep. I don't know, I can't, it's hard to tell. Like, it's, I, maybe if I meet more characters, I could get a vibe for, like, oh, this one feels like a George R.R. R. Martin character. But honestly, I don't want to be as dismissive as just saying he cashed a check. But, right. Like, it's very you know, difficult to tell. Yeah, like, and, yeah. and if George R.R. R. Martin himself is not going to, like, come out and say, like, you know, how involved he was, then it's really... I mean, he's a professional, to, like, to... you know, like, yeah, he yeah. won't talk about it unless they talk about right, it. Right, right, he's not, he's not going to go out there claiming stolen Valor or yeah. whatever, you know. But... And I mean, like, he seems excited about the game, you know, he has been promoting it, he has been talking it up, yeah, so it, it clearly like... he is still on good terms with right. the team. It, it seems like he had a, he enjoyed, like, collaborating with Miyazaki, so, you know, it seems like... That was a fruitful collaboration. Yeah, uh, how right. much of that shows in the game itself? <clears throat> you know, may- maybe in later in the game. It's hard to tell, right? Like maybe he took me. Still... Yeah. Maybe he took Miyazaki out to an American football game or something. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing I've heard from interviews is most of that like uh, George Martin worked on broadly like the history of the world and some of the like major characters, and then hmm. handed it off basically. I I can believe that. I mean, he's not a games developer, you know. Right. So this ain't this so, ain't no uh, having a mouth and I'm a scream computer game. <laughs> um, I'll just add as someone who hasn't really played any Souls games in the past, I have tried. What do you think of this? Uh-huh. I ha- am I, I actually tr- am I actually more experienced in Souls games than you at this point, Joe? Oh, I've never played any of them right? more so than like right. uh, you've beat Dark Souls and Bloodborne. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've never so I've attempted to play a couple of them, like Demon Souls. Dark, I tried to play Dark Souls one, and um, that Bloodborne. game has a rough start. To and <laughs> every 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 time I was just like, you know, like I can I I can kind of see the appeal, but I just don't have the patience for this. And I've now played Elden Ring in the past three days more than any of those combined. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I think for me, I feel like I don't know if it's maybe just like the and maybe people will skewer me for saying this. The execution of this feels like everything coming together now <laughs> for me on it. Um, I mean, I th- I think there's been there's been quite a lot of talk about how the more open design perhaps you know, intentionally or not, makes it a little bit more user-friendly because you can just walk away yeah, from a problem. Yeah, so I, that's, you... that's definitely a big factor because if I do run into a boss that I can't beat right now or I just don't feel like dealing with it, I'm like, Joe, all right, I can like, come back to this. We, we both went to that, like, big ramp dungeon under the tutorial zone. Yes, right? You and, yeah, uh, just got immediately destroyed. Oh, I, still, I still haven't done that. Yet. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a part is and, and you have you have to do something to unlock it. But if you go back to the starting area, there's this whole mm. horrible thing you go through where you got to dodge <laughs> this like course. Yeah. you got to dodge this giant rolling death wheel thing That's down crazy. several ramps. Yep, sure. And I made it all the way down there, 
mm-hmm. and the boss just kicked my ass. Did not even have even <laughs> remotely a chance. Yeah. Did not even remotely have a chance of beating it. I'm like, but I so but I was like, you know, I don't want to walk. I, there was no um. There's no whatever they call the bonfires. Right, it's here. only a yeah, stake, America. There's no yeah, yeah there's no grace, grace down there. So like you you'd have to like go through the death wheel thing again to get back down oh. there. So yep, I think me and Ira were banging <laughs> our head against that for like as long as we could before it was like oh we just can't beat this boss. But the point the point is though like I can go somewhere else now yeah. and, and right. do something else because, and do a lot of other like, things. I I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that like the opening part of those games is by far by of all of those games is by far and away the most difficult part of yeah, them. You don't have any tools yeah. to deal with And things, like yeah. I I made three attempts to start Bloodborne and I think five attempts to start Dark Souls before <laughs> I actually got on Fire the run that I finished stuck. them. So Yeah. Yeah, and like I bought Bloodborne, I gave it I tried, I waited six months, tried again and then waited a year and then finally managed it. But there's, you know, like, if they can ease that ramp there's definitely an aspect of, like, there's always a buy-in for from games of, like, right. you kind of have to, like, hit that, like, you know, the way I would describe it, right, is, like, whatever your first, whatever the first from game you beat, like, or, or just play significantly, right, like, more than, like, a few hours of, it's, like, there's always, like, that moment where it clicks, where you, like, kind of get it, right, like, it's, 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 it's not, like, necessarily like a guaranteed moment, there's no, there's never, like, an obvious place where it happens, it differs from player to player, but there's always that moment where the mechanics come together, the experience comes together, like, and it clicks. You go, ah, yes, this is my yeah. favorite thing now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely getting there. I, I will point out, uh, in between me attempting to play the other games, I did play uh, Remnant, which is obviously not mm. from software, but it's ah, very heavily it's... influenced by right. it is, the Souls it is games. part of the burgeoning genre. And I really love, I really love that game. And obviously, it's very different because there's like guns and stuff. But the, I think the that maybe got me a little ready for it mm. in a way of like right, kind of getting that. me in the mood for that, even though they are you know different games a lot of the concepts and right the framework is very similar i i will say as well that like even like even compared like again i have not played elden ring so i cannot speak to it but like even if you compare bloodborne to dark souls like there are tangible ways in which the basic game experience has improved between those right um and i suspect if they have made similar leaps in the games subsequent to that sekiro and uh, dark souls 3 and Elden Ring, then perhaps that might take some of the edge off of it as well. So you can jump now. Yeah, it's. I mean. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and then the, the addition of the jump has turned uh, what is sometimes affectionately known as uh, from platforming segments from <laughs> the most dreaded parts of the game. Oh, they are so bad. To they're, merely an annoyance. They're still in there. Oh, I know. Of course they will. But at least now I've been like, to one. <laughs> But yeah, like, you know, and you have a double jumping horse. Yeah, and the horse can double jump, and it's mm-hmm. it's boy. Let me tell you, that has saved me a couple times where I realized I took a wrong angle on a jump, yep. and I needed to quickly course correct. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm very much enjoying it as somebody who has not previously enjoyed Souls games, so maybe that says something. But uh, and you guys, as people who as people who have have played souls games are enjoying it so uh maybe it's a win-win for everybody 
But I mean, it's uh, not for me because while you guys are playing that, I'm playing Dark Souls Two for Christ. <laughs> oh, well. that's on you. That's on yeah, it is on help me. you there. Look, as someone who beat Dark Souls Two, there are things that are interesting about that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Asterisk, probably why Asterisk. I'm sticking with it. But uh, yeah, I'm jealous. Uh, put it that way. Fair enough. <laughs> You'll get there. But uh, all right. All right. Let's uh, move on to a couple other news items as I wanted to mention before we get to our regularly scheduled anime. Uh, we've been joking the past couple of episodes how the universe has cosmically seen Iroh and has been Finally, resurrecting his my time is, my time is cult here. favorite Your stars media properties aligned. here. We started with... Uh, Turns out I've know, got good taste. We, 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 <laughs> Hell we, st- yes. we started with uh, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer yes. getting an anime announcement... Uh, mm-hmm. Last time we talked about uh, Live Alive, Live Alive, uh, the game getting, getting a the full remake. Full remake, and uh, this episode we have it's a bit smaller um, scale, but uh, it's appreciated. Uh, it was announced by Seven Seas that they are bringing over the Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko manga uh, to the West. Highly, yeah, we're getting even deeper into Iroh's. Highly like, uh... respected. <laughs> so, uh, this, is this is the first time, right? This is the first yes. official translation ever. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Highly respected um, sci-fi manga that ran yeah. for quite why, a while. Why don't you give us a brief synopsis of uh, uh, what it's about? It's a... I suppose you could call it a post-apocalyptic... Uh, it's sort of a it's sort of a soft post apocalyptic yeah of like... post post apocalypse like it's not it, it ain't no fallout like you don't got bands of bandits around Kenshiro's not out here <clears throat> it's, uh, fighting dudes it's more like you know if we fast forwarded two hundred years or something like climate change will have ruined the ecosystem and uh, but people, people still just, just hang out lives. people just live yeah. 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 To me, at least, it was a very early example of the like healing genre uh, that I had experienced. I'd like not seen anything like this before when I right. read the manga, where it's just like slice of I mean, life. It is, right? Yeah, yeah, it is more of like a like a like a slice of life type of thing. So mm-hmm. when we say post apocalypse, it's not like right. I survival. Think, I, I think the thing we want to emphasize here, right, is that right. it, is this is the premise is the premise, but right. It is being used to tell a different type of story yes. than what you normally expect. Uh, it's all, about all. a robot girl who runs a cafe uh, and like coffee One shop. day she has to go and find the Elden Ring. No, uh, <laughs> but uh, she hangs out. She runs a cafe and sometimes she goes to Yokohama to buy coffee beans. And sometimes she does other things. And it's just a lot of hanging out. And since she's a robot, uh, she is effectively immortal compared to the humans, at least. And so there's a definitely a large motif of she will, sadness she of will be immortality. Not quite that, but not quite the oh no, I'm immortal and we'll watch everything die. But a little bit of the like, I'm here and watching the decline of, of humanity and. You right. know, watching the kids grow up and you know my my cool old neighbor will die one day and i'm just gonna keep running my cafe 
Yeah. Right. There, there is definitely like an aspect of of YKK that is about sort of yes the 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 perpetual passing of time, right? And, yeah. And especially with the the story and its premise, right? And, and to make it clear, like we say, like even post post apocalypse, right? Like it's not a desert wasteland, right? It's mm-hmm. like the world is it's actually more like flooding. Fairly, yeah. Yeah. It's it's flooded. It's there's still aspects of it that are quite lush, right? Like yes. it's it's. It's it's more it's it's more like when we I think when we say like post apocalypse or even post post apocalypse it is more in the sense of maybe it's not even apocalypse it's it's more it is post humanity if that makes sense right I like, mean humans are still around but yeah uh, yes yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I guess you know it is mm-hmm. the, that's the, why the <laughs> civilization <laughs> is clearly on the downwards right the, yes. the, the yes. structures that we currently see are no longer here right like that right. kind of thing but also it's a it's not I wouldn't I would not call it a downer. Right, way. like there's a tranquility to it, uh, as opposed to like it. It is a a series where, for example, they will climb up to a hill and as as the sun sets and the ocean will light up with all of the old buildings that have been long since covered by water, but still are still attached to the grid. While all light up, and it is presented as a moment of natural beauty mm-hmm. of the current world, rather than as a somber like somber moment i feel like um there has been a rise in popularity of this kind of story (laughs) uh, over the past couple years so like now it's kind of a good maybe that's why it's getting uh licensed now i'm not the one to write this paper but like i I think there's definitely something to be said about like ykk's like influence on like how people grapple with like apocalyptic fiction mm. and how it is portrayed, you know, this, yeah. because because often apocalyptic fiction, fiction, especially in the West, is portrayed from the like status quo minded aspect of the apocalypse is bad because we must return to the society that the viewer is familiar with, right? Like, you know, uh, an apocalypse is bad because it is different from what you, the reader or, or viewer, uh, knows of, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think YKK and fiction that was inspired by it almost begin to approach this sort of like reconciliatory tone towards apocalypse or, or or great upheavals in human society right of like yes like things have changed maybe for the better maybe for the worse but like there's still meaning to it and there's still beauty and and a substance to be found in a changed world mm-hmm. also just stories where the characters can sit there and not say anything and look at the scenery <laughs> right like yes yeah. Yeah. That's a very popular genre right now. It was um, one of the first like manga I read that was outside of the shonen battle right. sphere, I would say, and so I consider it personally to be. A, it's a it's a really it's a really cool manga, yeah. and it's cool that it's finally getting like licensed yeah. here in the West. And, so. and I think it is, you know, I think it is a cult favorite. You know, yes. I I saw quite a lot of widespread rejoicing on social media from this and that's because you know we're deep in the anime hole and we know people who you know are who would know what that thing was but like i think you know it is not so cult as to be unknown and sure, i think yes. that this hopefully will be a successful release i mean hell just... like oh sorry go ahead Joel. no go ahead Gee, go oh I... no I'm, I'm i'm gonna segue to the next thing so <laughs> oh yeah, I was just going to share one more thing here. My, I think one of my earliest memories of talking to you guys was back in the Japanator days oh, when man. I made a post yeah. about the... Uh... I did make a post about this. You did? No, I made I made a oh. post about uh, like the best a- uh, robot anime girls or something, oh. and Iroh 
Ira commented that uh, the main <laughs> character of this should have been should. on the list. <laughs> and I had no idea mean. what he was talking about, but like, all right, I'll check that out. But uh, yeah, I think that's one of my earliest memories of oh, uh, talking with you guys. So oh, R.I.P. Wow. Japanator. That, that, <laughs> thankfully, that post is long gone. Uh, nah, archive.org has it, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it lives lives on in our hearts. But uh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess, uh, gee, we're going to say, speaking of uh, sad, sad robots. robots. And... I, mean, I mean, I'm not even, like, that is a joke, but I, I actually want to say, in some ways, I think there is a meaningful, like, tangible connection between what we just talked about and the next work we're about to talk about. Yeah, so... I, I also kind of, I feel like this is continuing the discussion we had last episode about Shenmue the animation, but <laughs> since <laughs> last episode we had the announcement of a Nier Automata anime. Yo, Yoko Tamo get paid! Yeah, hope so. I hope, I hope he's getting paid from this. Um, he's not. I, he's all we don't about have, that money, after all. We don't have any information about it. <clears throat> I think most of us feel like this is going to be bad as most anime oh, yeah. it's, uh, adaptations it's of games. I mean, especially about a game which is very, like, a lot of its best qualities are about how it is a game. Yes. If that makes sense. Like, the sense, gameplay you know? is directly tied to the narrative of this, like, right. so like, there's literally no way you could recreate the exact experience in no. animated form. It's 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 what we keep saying about, like, games have a texture to them that uh, serial, non-interactive media can't really replicate, right? Like, yeah. how is Nier Automata going, how is the Nier Automata anime going to handle the side quest where you race the robot? And once you beat him in a race three times, he realizes he has no reason to keep living and self-destructs. <laughs> That's just probably not going to be there, right? And then without right, and then, that, right. how do you how do you go and talk to the big Engels bot? Like right. you know, several times. Who's called Engels, by the way? Yes, that's um, Yes. Yeah. And like, there's a there's enough plot, like main plot, to do like a straight just anime adaptation, but that would be like losing so it would much. Lose so much. Yeah. Of Right. And also, right. like, I'm, I'm just going to say it, the main plot of Nier Automata is fine, you know? Yeah, but it, it's but fine, it's not, but it's not it's the not strongest point of, of storytelling. It. I don't know, right. I really, I, I really yeah, yeah, I, like, I think, I think what elevates it is how it, like, all of the side stuff ties back yes, into the it, themes. It, yes. like, it is right. the texture of the world around yes. it, you know? But, like, I, I don't think that... And, and, you know, so much of that is tied up in the multiple playthrough gimmick and all of that, you know. Right, how's the anime going to do that? Like, <laughs> just probably some endless eight shit. Yeah, like... they just do endless eight. That is, like, my one, my one, like, I suspect that it's just going to be a straightforward anime adaptation, yes. but what if yeah. they just went, like, full, incomprehensible, like, last episode of Evangelion-style, like, just pure what is, nonsense. What, is, what was the joke people were making on Twitter when this first got announced that, the last watching the last <laughs> episode of yeah. Nier Automata, the animation delete your Crunchyroll account. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, like I'd love that they. I just love it if they did at least something weird, right? Like I feel I, like I just, they have to at least try, right? Like I, I just don't know. Like this. I is, don't again, know what's like, gonna happen. Just, like look at the world's ends with you anime. I'm not like. I mean, mm. I, I don't think those two are necessarily comparable, but they are both you know square properties, right? Yeah, but I mean, and, like, like the. The World Ends With You was not famous for playing medium games in and, the right, same way. Right, but I guess but... what I mean is, like, that, you know, Square is probably... It, it, it is a franchise owned by Square, and Square is, like, let's, let's be real, like... Cheapskates? Yeah! And this, <laughs> I, as, you know, as, as you know, weird and niche as Nier Automata may feel, it was a pretty 
big hit for them. Yeah, the the yeah, multi-million so... selling near franchise. Yeah. <laughs> so like over five million copies sold. This, it, I think this is just going to be a straightforward adaptation, and it's not. I, I think so too. And because Nier Automata is such an action-heavy, like you know, like thing, like it's probably not going to look great either. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to have the budget. To like have you know to be doing crazy flips and shit. So. I mean, if they did do like an extremely well animated version of it, I might just watch it just for that. Just yeah, for sure. The I mean, cool factor. Like, but I'm not saying it. I'm not saying that like it shouldn't exist. But I think that the chances of it bringing something meaningfully new right. to like the it's, story or the conversation yeah. around the story about Nier is minimal. Right. You know, and it would require a, a high. You know, a high-caliber staff, a high-caliber writer, you know, a good director. I think, like, the acid test will be to see if Yokotaro himself is involved, because, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to do the whole fucking auteur thing where, like, only one person matters, but I think whether he's involved or not will be, you know, a bellwether as to how seriously they are taking it, if that makes yeah. sense. I will, I will just um, re- restate uh, here on the podcast that I think the only tangible benefit we get out of a Nier Automata anime is maybe some new tracks by Keiichi Okami. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll take that. I'll take it. You know, but yeah. also, Nier Automata like, had a lot tracks. of music. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I ultimately think it's, it's, I mean, it's a similar conversation we had about Shenmue last episode where some games especially have to be video games for to work, and this is definitely one, like, this is, like, at the, near the top of my list of those kinds of games and I just I not gonna have I mean, super high expectations on this one. It, in a way, it's funny because it is almost the exact opposite of Shenmue because Shenmue is a game about nothing happening, whereas <laughs> Near Automata is a game about you know is a game that is so much about being a video game. It is almost the opposite of Shenmue, whose right. very stated intent was to be a video game that is basically real life, as in you grind out work for eight hours a day driving forklifts, and then you But the general concept is the same of, like, you need to do those things to have yes. the full Shenmue experience, yeah, the, right? the interactivity is the point. And right. without that, I'm not sure what's left. It's not going to carry over as well, so... the I would say that the only thing that could, you know genuinely raise my hopes for this is if it's some sort of anthology or side story it's not, it's I mean, not. I would and it's not be, yeah like it's not. It's didn't they didn't they show at least like one image that was just to be in it's just a piece of key art it could be anything Whatever, yeah. you, know, you put to be on top you could put to be on anything and people will go oh i should, ooh, I should yeah look at that <laughs> except soul caliber six Oof. <laughs> they they have been crossed over like, virtually 14? every <laughs> Virtually every video game that has a crossover, they have appeared. Uh, so, all right, they're gonna be in that new Babylon's Fall game. Sure. Yes. Oh my god, dude! I I, I hate to bring this up, but you you said the names. <laughs> Did, you, Did you see that the, the terrible trailer, image? The te- oh, oh, image? No. I'll oh just no, that just the image that's like, and here's our season one battle pass, and oh, no, like no, on no, week no. three there will be a drop of, and I was like, oh. Okay, so I. I, I maybe they already took it down and uploaded a fixed version, but oh my! So they uploaded a trailer for Babylon's Fall. I think the day Elden Ring came out, which mm. is really funny. The the demo for um, it came out the day Elden Ring um, came out, and so yeah. the trailer was very much the like you know overview trailer of like these are the mechanics, right? And like these are the weapons you use, right? It's very funny because it's, it does stuff like because it's introducing each class of weapon, so like 
you know, it go it cuts to like a black screen with huge text superimposed of it, and like the dude saying swords. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it explains swords are a weapon with which you can use to and. Okay, and so it's it's a bad looking trailer and the gameplay and the game itself looks kind of bad in general. But like, what added to it is that the audio mix on the trailer was super bad. Oh no! So like, cha- like the left or the right channel would just like intermittently mute and like cut out. Like, like I tested this with multiple headphones to make sure it wasn't just me. So like, suddenly like the right side would just mute and you'd only hear audio from the left side. I wonder if like, that's just the upload getting chewed up at some yeah, point. Yeah, for like 30 yeah. seconds and then it would be like fix itself and then it'd switch to the other ear. It was... Just a perfect... Just a- the trailer was just a perfect encapsulation of that game in a lot of ways. Yeah. And putting your demo out the day Elden Ring comes out in a, in a game that is obviously not like Elden Ring, but if you squint and somebody doesn't know better, like... They it feel is like at least they, adjacent. Look, it's I'm like third-person like, action game, right? It, like it, it, it sucks to be you if you're a third-person action game releasing yeah. any time. Yes. I mean, February Elden Ring March. even Elden Ring even managed to crush Horizon, which is like a Sony first-party exclusive with massive advertising right. behind it. So I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard anything about Horizon since Elden Ring came out. So yeah, it's. I, uh, I, I have heard uh, one or two things about Horizon the and its plot. I don't know if any of you played. Horizon Zero. No, we didn't play I, no, I did I, not, I, and I, I do still plan to. So. I, I was spoiled on the twist for the first game, so, you know. <laughs> okay. Should uh, I just take my headphones off for a few no, seconds? No, it's no, it's fine. Ero, Ero could keep it vague. I, I should be able to pick up on what he's getting at. If, uh... Yeah, that's, uh, that's a whole other topic we can <laughs> don't have time to get into. But yeah. anyway, near, near anime, probably going to be yes. bad. Or not. <laughs> and then, uh, the return of another... I'd love yeah, to be surprised. One last thing that... <laughs> Randomly came up this, this out of one nowhere. Me off guard. Right, you, everybody remember Spice and Wolf? Yeah, that was yeah. Was huge. I haven't heard that name in a long. That was a big deal. At People least loved ten Spice to fifteen yeah. years ago. I, I love and Spice and Wolf. Spice and Wolf was one, also one of the like early things I saw that was not just you yeah. know yeah. boys. I, 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 yeah, I think for a lot of uh, anime fans in our generation, I think Spice and Wolf definitely occupies a bit of that like spot of. Again, it's not to say it was the first, obviously, but I think for many anime fans, it was the first anime that exposed a lot of American anime fans to, oh, this is what anime can be, right? right. It doesn't just have to be beam blasts and shouting. It doesn't just have mm-hmm. to be battle shonen. It can be something yeah, but... a lot more uh, sedate and tranquil. And I, I will say, I also think that, like... It doesn't have to be melodrama. It doesn't have to be sad girls in snow or right, like yes, stuff that. Fair. Well, like, this is an interesting kind of quirky thing about like economics, which is something you would never ever get a Western cartoon made about. Right. You know, with a, fo- uh, with a wolf girl explaining economics uh-huh, to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do. F- I do feel like like it is one of the shows I remember that was kind of getting buzz around the time I was getting into anime, so about yeah. 2009, 2010-ish. It is the anime from that time period in which you would see people with, like, forum signatures of Holo, Holo or the Horo, Wise Wolf. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. you know, their avatar is 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 the, is, is a Holo or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. No, you see, there's a reason she doesn't wear any clothes. And, uh... Um, yeah, I feel like this is, this is a bit of a broader point here. We, I feel like we've looped around enough where a lot of these anime that were big 10 to 15 years ago that are yeah. right. still living, you know, 
living in our on in our mind don't get talked about anymore because just time yeah. has passed. Just and... just to give a brief synopsis, so people aren't just like, "What the fuck are these people talking about?" Uh, Spice and Wolf is a I guess medieval a, a, economic song. A medieval economic story, or, or that, yeah. that makes it sound so dry. This yeah. show would uh, just gonna well, say this it show also would has... absolutely be an isekai in this day and age. Yes, yes it would have been would. isekai if it was made in 2022. Yes, it's about. A human, like, traveling Peddler, merchant yeah. uh, uh, who traveled, and his traveling companion is a, I guess, a wolf girl. A, a wolf spirit who has taken on a humanoid a yes. humanoid form who travels uh, with him. And they just sort of, you know, Solve live their lives as traveling economics. merchants. Uh, and, you know, peddle their yeah. wares and talk about medieval economics. Yep. And, and occasionally run into crises of economics. Uh, <laughs> with yes. Such. With it's, some... With some light flirting, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yes. There you go. Well, I mean, doesn't the light novel eventually? I heard that like and, you know, the anime didn't yeah. adapt, of course, but the light novel obviously ends with you know, yes, them marrying and putting out wolf kids, and you know, mm-hmm. as you do. But well, that's why we're getting a season three, right? Uh, <laughs> so wait, this so is a season it's, three. Yeah, I was going to say, a, I thought this was a reboot. Oh, I don't know. I I didn't Good question. Is this going to be a they... Full Metal Panic Four situation? <laughs> I, um, I it's feel been fifteen I, years since I don't the last know if the, season. I don't know if the thing I read about it specified whether it was a reboot or or oh, not. I'm, but I'm I think there's certain, a lot like, of material to like continue on with. So right. I'm fairly certain probably... the only thing I read was new anime project, which could be anything. Yeah. You know, like it um, could be a movie, it could be an OVA, it could be you know a new series, it could be a continuation. I mean, they did have. Uh, didn't they have like a VR game or something a couple years ago? I think so. Sure, so, that sounds yeah, about right. Totally, yeah. That's the last time uh, I remember hearing anything about Spice well, and Wolf. But I think I think the only question, the real pertinent question, we're all asking uh, about the new Spice and Wolf anime is uh, how will Holo sign her name <laughs> uh, this time around? God. <laughs> will we get justice for Corbo? <laughs> I I remember the the quote unquote controversy over this shit. Yes. Back Making references from. Ten plus I'm years sorry, ago, here like, I'm, I'm an old man now, and that is that is the long-standing like cultural legacy yeah, of Spice yeah. and Wolf in 2022 is <sighs> is the signature. Christ. All right. I mean, back back when I was deep in the figure world, Hollow was definitely one of the prominent exponents of having a billion figures. For yeah, a while. she was like <laughs> top uh, top ten or maybe even top five number of figures sure, coming yeah, out during that definitely. time period. All right. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to our other anime that we've been watching. Stuff we uh, actually watched. Wow. Well, it's just forty minutes. Yeah, let's um, talk about the Orbital Children. Which um, have you all finished it now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. I have not watched <clears throat> this, so I'll just turn it over to you guys. But how did that turn out? So. Can I start? Is it okay if I start? Okay, okay, sure. I think that there is a really good character, you know, bonding drama here, and I think that there's an interesting, potentially quite good, weird, metaphysical apocalypse story here, and they don't quite sit next to each other entirely comfortably, I think is is my take on it. I really think that... Orbital Children, in a lot of ways, does not stick the landing. Um, I think 
I kind of agree with you, Zig, of I think there are two really interesting stories being told by the Orbital Children, mm-hmm. and it sort of picks one of them to focus on in the last episode, and I think... I don't think it's so Iso picked the right one. <laughs> I, I think... You know, I, I think I'm a little bit more generous than that, you know. I think that the... I think that part of the point of it is the evolution from a like discrete character-based drama into these bigger ideas and these bigger sort of concepts. And I do appreciate a good weird sci-fi finale. The Orbital Children in its last episode <laughs> expects us to unironically accept the terms Science 2.0 and UN3. I'm not entirely sure that's entirely unironic, to be honest. Um... I think so, there's. Did they like? Because from what I remember, like it start. This starts out as a more hard sci-fi type of thing, and do yes. they go in a different yeah, direction? I, uh, it not, not necessarily, but it's more that there are elements that were always there in the story that become magnified and sort yeah. of become the most prominent aspect yes. of the story by the end. It, it becomes more of a meditation on you know humanity and you know what you know, what humanity needs to do to continue to exist, and, and like... And apparently that thing is, if we build this our AI god and give it all of the information, it will fix our problems for us. Uh, I think that's actually the exact opposite know, of what they try and say. I think that, basically, the, the idea they... Like, basically the entire final episode is naked space floating and exposition, you know, in the classic anime <laughs> yeah. style, and... I think that they're grappling with some interesting ideas, you know, they're grappling with ideas about, you know, the responsibility of humanity versus, you know, the the need to do what is right and, and you know, should humanity continue to exist under the circumstances that it finds itself. The problem is they also try and anchor that through an emotional human connection and I don't think that's the bit which works unfortunately you know I, I i think that like i said there is a fundamental disconnect between this very high-minded 2001-ish exploration of humanity and ai and like the slightly more basic but interesting human story that they were telling think, to begin with i think i was a lot more interested in the orbital children when all the stuff about the super ai god was used as like the backdrop as a backdrop to the human stories being told, like, you know, because, you know, I mean, for, you know, just me being me, I really enjoyed when this was a story, it was a, it was a hard sci-fi survival story, right, about kids, like, who are way out of their depth trying to survive a very tense situation. And interspersed through all of that are the talks about, like, like, NASA, <laughs> you know, the character NASA was a really fascinating mm-hmm. character to me because... You know, there is this idea of, oh, here's a true believer in AI godhood and how does it inform her behavior and what she says and how she acts. And then, you know, it definitely I I will say, I think it has a great moment where it does the thing where, like, you realize just a few seconds ahead of the show revealing it. Oh, she's the mole. She's the one. You know, she's yeah, the traitor. Or, or even more than that, um, that she's a true believer in the in the in the, right. in, the tr- in, in the most like like clear sense of the word of oh no, she's not just someone who like talks about the poem of seven. This is her gospel. <laughs> and yeah, I, I guess, 
I really liked all that parts because that's because even that part, even like NASA's like true belief belief in in the poem of seven, is still more being used to inform how she acts and behaves to you know in response to these real life like problems and issues, right? But right, the it, last it manifests fully em- embraces in the like fully embraces the yes the naked space flying aspect. I think is where it really began to kind of fall apart for me. I think for me. I I think that the ideas are interesting and provocative, like I said. I think part of the problem I found was that so much of the emotional crux of that finale is based on the relationship between Toya and Konoha, and we just haven't seen much of Konoha. You know, right. she, she like I mean, it, she is magical waifu like yeah, number one. Like she is she. <laughs> funnily enough, of all the anime we watched, who would have guessed the orbital children would be the one with the magical. The magical girl with the blessed bloodline or the secret prototype oh, thing. Oh, give, that... give uh, some of these other shows some time, but we'll yeah, uh, talk but, about that uh, later. Um, but I, I think, but the problem is, what we're asked to believe is that the strength of that connection is strong enough, like, right. not only to convince you know, the second seven, you know, latent AI god that humanity is worth saving, but also, you know, to bring her back across, you know, right. the divide between Except life then and death. after that, they explain that actually Seven saw all of this uh, ahead of time I, too. I was don't all necessarily plan, so. like. I don't necessarily think that's a problem because you know, like the the concept of predestination in anime is in stories is complex, and I don't necessarily think it devalues the what we actually see but the problem is again we get plenty of Toya I think he's a really interesting character you yeah, know I think no, that the show the show treats him with the requisite level of seriousness which alternates between like, very my, and not much at all one of my um, absolute favorite moments in the whole show is when Toya witnesses NASA's reveal hmm. and is forced to come to terms with oh god that's all the stuff I was saying but she actually means it. Like, I was just being kind of a shitty kid saying right. edgy stuff to get a reaction. You know, blah, 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 kill 30% of humanity. Oh, this is what ha- this is what it looks like when somebody legitimately believes this and being forced to, like, mm-hmm. come to terms with his actual real feelings about, like, mankind and society. Right. And, it's like an internet troll me- meeting an actual terrorist. Right. It's like, know. oh, God, um, I was just saying this shit to get a reaction. I didn't actually think people believe this i think my favorite toya moment is where they badger him about where the name of the drone comes from and he admits that it's called darkness killer and it's just really funny it's so good like like, because that's what i mean right like moments like that exist to help anchor him right because initially he comes off as a kind of standoffish you know an edgy kid who's clearly like going through some stuff right so he's Mm -hmm. saying outlandish things like kill you know kill humanity but reveals like the the name of his drone yeah I think the show is really good, however, at making him sympathetic to the audience from the beginning. You know, it's oh, totally. it's very good at establishing that this is a put-on, that he's actually a deeply troubled person yes. who is mostly, like, being shitty because, A, he's 14, and, B, like, he has, like, a really complicated relationship with the idea of humanity, and, like, they've kind of kept him as this weird lab rat in space and all of that stuff, right. you know? I think the again, I think the problem is we're told a lot about the connection he has with Conor. You know, the backstory makes it make sense. 
that they would have yeah. a very intimate sibling-esque relationship but we never see that I all think... the all their interaction is on a very you know technical nuts and bolts level right. and I, I... it it means that when the time comes for emotional weight to be put on that connection it just goes it it's doesn't just bear it right yeah. because like this is one of those aspects where looking at hindsight Realizing that the Orbital Children was what, like two movies, one movie, whatever it is. It's a six-episode OVA, right? Yeah. Like it's it's not very long, and that's when you realize, oh, this is these are where all these compromises start happening, right? Because like there's only so much screen time to go around for these characters, right? right? Like Mina's brother, the 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 other kid, right? I don't even remember what he does on that ship. That's he's like, mostly notable. there for comic like, relief, right? But, like um... like even Mina, like at least has like a tangible role on on in the story. You know, like Konoha, like it's yeah. very little, right? It's it's one of the you know even even Tayo, right, is like. I mean, he's he, arguably the second protagonist, right? But... but also, he also does just kind of settle into the like oldest kid in the group role, right? Yes, like, there's there's not the that responsible much more one, to it. yeah, and. Yeah. I think as well, like this is a stylistic choice, which I think hurts, but like. It, it took me a long time to establish that Konoha and Toya are meant to be the same age because she looks right. like half his age. And yes. that might seem like a minor nitpick, but it's so drastically, like, makes it difficult to believe the idea that they re- they have a relationship as equals. It changes their it, dynamic. It's... Right. right, exactly. I, well, yeah, it's, it's but... a tough... Th- Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go You go first, please, Jay. I think it's just a tough thing because, like, I really do like Mitsuo Iso's work. I, you know, like, I described him last week or last podcast as, you know, what if uh, Mamoru Hosoda, like, read popular science, <laughs> I guess, you know? And <laughs> had perhaps mechanics. a bit more of a sense of humor. <laughs> right, yes. Like, he, he is a... He, but, but what I mean by that is there is certainly a arguably almost naive optimism to Mitsuo Iso's works that, you know... Like I've been telling Eero, right? It's like this dude worked on Shar's counterattack, right? Like this dude. There's definitely you definitely see that as yeah, well. Like he, at some he, worked, he worked on an anime in which the the collective psychic power of humanity came together in its most dire moment and helped push back an asteroid that would have exterminated the human race, right? Like, and you start to see aspects of that come out in Mitsuo Iso's other works about how much he. Again, like I, I kind of brought up like. Mitsuo Iso is a dude who maybe unironically believes that like science and technology can save us, right? Yeah, that absolutely, and that's a refreshing change. I it think. is. It is. It's just, <laughs> it's hard to. Yeah, and uh, hard to I accept think... that, though. Even yeah. if it's twenty twenty two. Yeah, really I, I think as well, it's important to emphasize some of like the perhaps less controversial qualities of this show. It looks fantastic. The character animation is exceptional. I love the design. I love the kind of like weird twitchy energy all the children have. I think the voice works great. I think it's very funny on occasion. I think that the hard sci-fi survival elements are are great fun. They they like effectively channel them into good character pieces and good opportunities for the kids to show, you know, their metal, so to speak. Um, we, we, we've, and, we've kind of been dancing around the conclusion here, I think. Do you want to get into that era? I mean... Yeah, sure. Go for it. Of, of just, like, the way the way that show ends is... is bizarrely Absurd. optimistic. <laughs> I, I don't know, like... Right, like the idea that, like, a really... It's okay, one thing the that idea, they escape, I the, guess. Like The idea that a, a really popular Twitch stream could single-handedly topple the world's current government 
and lead to the establishment of a newer, more moral government <laughs> is... I mean, look, she had 100 million followers. Uh, yeah. Absurd. It's silly, you know, but I don't think it's, like, that stuff is kind of just a postscript. You know, the practical, like, the clear finale of that show is, like, the philosophical message it is trying to bring. Even so, and, like, like and, and, you know, I haven't watched that, but sure. I've, I feel like in this day and age, my taste for naive optimism is very low right now um <laughs> I, I don't think that the i don't think that this is a naive optimism you know i think that i think that you know the writers and isoa and everyone ask the hard questions you know and i i think that there is i don't know that they do it <laughs> i i think that it's just an ultimately a a more optimistic look at you know, it's it's a second chance show. You know, I mean, the idea sure, is yes. that Seven spares humanity because, or one third of humanity, because it believes in the potential of humanity to to outgrow its cradle, as they say. And you know, I think is it a little naive? Maybe. You know, I think there are much worse sins that a show can commit. You know, um, it's certainly not my main issue with it. Put it that way. But sure. again, I think we all have a slightly different approach to that. Yeah, I was just thinking about this in comparison to like, because I I personally liked shows like like I thought Planet With was good. I like Muse Comedy's work, and mm. also I I like Gundam, <laughs> like Tomino Gundam shows. And I was thinking about like why I was bothered by the end of Orbital Children compared to say the end of Planet With, which is also a highly optimistic right. view of like people can change I, and yes. i think it is like the scale of it where in for example at the end of planet with or or the like like it is the individual characters who reach self-actualization and that you know seeing that these people like these this small group of people can change for the better gives you hope for the rest of humanity as opposed right. to the orbital children just saying and this event caused all of humanity to change for the better. Period. I, yeah. I think I think that might be a a victim of the aforementioned limited time run, right? Like you can't if you have a limited amount of time, you can't necessarily get into the nuance of it. I, I know, mean, but it's like I, the scale is just so big that I, I would almost I, argue that if you don't have the time, then maybe you shouldn't attempt. Yeah, I mean right. that's uh, not really yeah. an excuse. And, for and it. I think that's you a valid dial in your execution. I yeah. think that's a valid critique. Yes, absolutely. All right. You know, um, we, we, do, I think, we do need to keep moving. Yeah, but if yeah, you've got yeah. one more I think point it, here, I think it's worth watching. You know, I think it's interesting yeah, well, and yeah, fascinating. Totally. I, and, I think it is. You know. It is one of the most interesting things airing this season, without a doubt. And it's only six episodes, right? So it's not yeah, like a huge. Yeah, yeah and it's on Netflix, so you know, fairly low barrier to entry. But uh, I, I think I enjoyed it a great deal, despite its problems. And I think you know anybody who likes sci-fi anime should at least check it out. For sure. All right. Well, well going uh, in a different direction, I suppose, <laughs> here. Uh, I don't know. I'd call, I'd the, call this fairly hard sci-fi. We're going um, from the highest of space to oh the lowest of Florida. Uh -huh. um, I, I, you guys want to talk about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, we yeah, haven't talked about it, it in a couple episodes. Uh, did, did you all finish what's out so far? Is that... Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. 13 episodes. So to recap, this is this is part six. Um, mm -hmm. We were saying things things have gotten uh, quite bizarre. <laughs> Dude, up to yeah. the title, 
Uh, Part so six. The ending, fucking... like the ending of this group of episodes, might be the most crazy JoJo has it's ever at, been, like, and that's really saying no, something. No, this is without like this is not exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. The usage of a stand's ability in the final episode of this this portion is the most fucking Iraqi thing I've ever seen out of JoJo. It's 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 patently absurd in the way of you scream at it and yet you still go. Well, I I guess it could work like that. <laughs> so what happened exactly? Is it is it right. something so, that can be explained in audio? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to explain right. it in a very short. Um, basically, Jolene has been trying to uh, trying to get to the prison courtyard uh, to deliver a disc, a, a like yeah. a MacGuffin to the Speedwagon Foundation, which has sent a messenger to retrieve it. Um, They have been attacked by uh, a weird monkey dude who has the ability to create pockets of zero gravity and zero atmosphere. His stand is called Jumping Jack Flash, by the way. Yes. Okay. Also, he can shoot bolts from his hands. Um, Yes. And basically, she has been helped by a dude called Weather Report and his stand, Weather Report. Um, His name (laughs) and his stand are the same, yes. Yes, who can create... Uh, he can control atmos- weather. He, he can control the weather. He's storm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is Jolene makes it to the courtyard, but the baddie has like gotten a prison guard there ahead of the time, and she's shot. And you know it looks like it's all over. You know he's gonna do her in, and then it starts raining frogs. Yes. Okay. Because... Not just any frogs either. Uh, they are poisonous Amazon jungle frogs. Sure, dark frogs. I would expect no less. And I, I think I actually kind of, sort of called this in a prior podcast where I said because this is JoJo, mm. a Rocky will do something with the weather. Like for example, the phrase "It's raining cats and dogs" <laughs> is a real <laughs> phrase in American parlance, and that a Rocky. Uh, therefore, <laughs> yes. And he kind of does it here, where the narrator kicks it and explains that for a time period in Florida, like during, you know, for a year or so, uh, it was raiding frogs and snakes. Uh, it still happens occasionally. Yes, uh, having been picked up by a nearby hurricane, right? And uh-huh. thus, because they fell from the sky. Counts as weather. This constituted an act of weather. And thus. The stand weather report is able to make this effect happen. Right. I f- I think... There is, however, no explanation as to why he can use poisonous Amazon trees. Right. No, I think the, cl- the clincher is that, like, not that he just makes the rain frogs, but that he can choose what kind of frogs. Yes. <laughs> and weather report is maybe the most JoJo has ever been of, like, nah, if I believe that my stand can do this, <laughs> then it can. Right, and that uh-huh. it, it, it gets at the thing that we all know about JoJo fights, in which the best JoJo fights are not necessarily just a clash of like power and ability, but they are a clash of wills in terms of who believes in their stand more than the other, right? Or who, who who can find the the dodgiest cheat using yes, their stand exactly, ability, right? <laughs> right? And that often who wins a stand fight is the one who never loses faith in their stand's ability, right? Is the one who's like, no, my stand can do this, thus I win. Thus breaking the willpower of their opponent. But, but, so this results in, like, the entire finale of the last episode just being this utterly surreal series of, like, 
thousands of frogs raining down yes. and like and so you have all this like bizarre related stuff happening like Jolene creating a quilt of living frogs to protect herself from the poison and you know like the bad guy is just like standing in a corner counting prime numbers because it helps him calm down and it's just <laughs> it is just so yeah. also completely also, out the there. people who do get hit by the poison dart frogs have the most like crazy yeah, uh, portrayal like melting, of poison dart like, frog yeah. poisoning. Right. Oh, and also whatever the frogs hit, like melt, because that's the yes. way poisonous frogs work. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. Like, and it it is just like it ascends into that very rare tier of JoJo, like silliness, where like it's not just that like silly things are happening; <clears throat> it's just that the entire world feels like it has yes. gone totally off the rails and. It's wonderful. Yeah, and it's, this is still only the first thirteen episodes. Yeah. Weather Report is doing this now. What is weather, what is Weather Report's final use of Weather Report? Oh, by the way, Weather Report also sleeps in a piano. Yes. Also, <laughs> he is one of those JoJo characters where you cannot tell if it, that's his hat or his hair. Yeah, his hair looks like a bearskin hat, hmm. but it's his hair. Is that his so, hair? I don't know. Or is like, that a hat? Nobody knows. <laughs> And, His eyebrows and, are the same color, so I'm inclined to believe it's hair. But <laughs> Ira, uh, what, Ira, what do you think? I, what, I guess I am also floored by the ways in which Araki can just pull this this shit out of his ass. <laughs> I, I should. I should uh, also point out, by the way, that the preceding fight in which they fight Jumping Jack Flash, who has the ability to give anything like to create a field of zero gravity, Araki seems to be under the belief that if you create a field of zero gravity, it also automatically becomes a vacuum. Because, yeah, because, like, apparently that just happens. Sure. And so, like, it, it's just... Like it is so far off the end of the craziness scale that it's it's sublime. Right. It really I, is. I, I'm really enjoying this. In fact, I think I'm enjoying this a lot more than part five. Like I feel like I would agree. Part six is like because I think part five was like I mean part four had weird stands, right? I mean part four was arguably the beginning of the weird stands, and then I think part five like I don't know for some reason its weird stands didn't work for me in the way that part six's weird stands are. I, I I'm not like a hundred percent sure why that's the case, but like I just I think I just part five that... occasionally got there, like the insane dance sequence on the boat. Sure, which, yeah, uh... yeah, definitely. But I don't. Know, I think I think there's, there's just an audacity to six. I feel like in, in some ways it is because these characters like so unironically believe in their powers abilities right like, like it's, it's like weather report doesn't acknowledge this is weird weather report is just like i will use my stand to create to weather this, yeah. and it's he, just he, like damn he also used his stand previously to create space suits out of cloud which he used his stand you know, to play is, a piano like yeah it's it's yeah. already kind of on the edge of i think as well like i'm just because this is the first time I've had to talk about JoJo Part Five in a whole, as a whole, mm. uh, or at least the stuff we've seen so far, obviously. Well, you mean but five or six. Uh, six, sorry, yes, six. Yeah. Um, and I just like I think that the setting and the premise is just so much more interesting. You know, to be trapped in this kind of prison. weird prison full of grotesque crazies. You know, to have to solve this mystery. Ah, like, Floridians. 
Yes, but <laughs> yes. like it, it's effectively like the basic plot of like the JoJo episode from part from part three onwards is oh no, it's an enemy stand. How do we discover his weakness slash ability slash whatever? And this is just that stretched into like an entire show of that, you know and. And I think it works so well. You know, I think it's it's got great characters. I think it is reliably totally bonkers. And I'm much more invested in it than part five, I think. Alright, so thumbs up on part six then. Yeah, looking forward Do we to know when the uh, next uh, block is happening or no clue. No idea. I, okay. I, I a part of me assumed it would have been around the time in which one who hypothetically watched uh, uh, this portion of JoJo weekly Oh, they man. would have released a new batch by now, but not yeah, yet. No, no, not sure. Ira, were you gonna add one more thing? Uh, nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I heard you. I, say, I thought I, I heard I, you chiming in there. So uh, I will say I do like with once again with Poochie, the new obviously oh, okay. yeah, yeah, part six right. is that I forgot about you that. know he is he is doing the thing that made everybody love Kira Yoshikage, right? Of he is powerful. He is clearly powerful, but he is also still relatively mortal. Like he struggles, and there are, you know, these frogs nearly get him, right? Yes. <laughs> like he, he could he, not take. He he is a clever villain who could not take our heroes on in a head-to-head yes. fight, and so yes, you know, he um, has to use subterfuge and agents, and in, you in know. the same way that Kira was nearly killed by a cat, Poochie <laughs> was nearly killed by a frog. Uh, That's JoJo, yes, folks. <laughs> All right, we need to keep moving. Yes. Um, I'm going to take my moment to recap right. uh, life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout, a.k.a. Fabi Niku. Uh-huh. Uh, I wanted to bring up a couple things I learned since we last talked. Uh, one, the OP... I, I kept thinking hearing the OP that this is not an appropriate OP for this show because it's like uh-huh. a middle-aged man passionately singing about something. I don't really know what the words are. So I looked it up, and the OP is by... Uh, Yoshiki Fukuyama, Mr. Better Firebomber, known, better yeah. known as uh, you know Neko Basara from Across Seven, lead singer of Firebomber, and uh-huh. I guess yeah. did the uh, sometimes the, the associated Rankin, with Jam Project. Busarenkin, but uh, name, the only good part about Busarenkin <laughs> is that just going to become this dude's legacy of like he just gets attached to the OPs for like weirdly specific shows that because like never... I was I mean it, it it's worked for every member of Jam Project right oh come on Kagayama has worked on like fucking Dragon Ball all right <laughs> all right well, look, yeah he's putting... attached to a very specific type of show <laughs> putting Jam Project aside like it, it's like I, from what I can tell he doesn't do a lot of put out a lot of stuff these days it's just like right, so he's, random he's not this... as much of a solo artist as the as some of the others like sure. this this anime that like. I don't know what what possessed you to get this particular person to do the OP for this anime because right. it does not really make sense at all. So I don't know if somebody called in a favor or somebody knew somebody or something, but I thought it's that probably was... someone called in a favor. Right? Uh, I, I thought that was pretty. Uh, that's pretty amusing. So if you if you check out the OP, you'll I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Where it's like weird that it's things are not lining up there. I, yes, I can I can confirm. <laughs> yeah, but um. Also, I, I learned that the the manga is actually created by a husband and wife team, which I thought was interesting. Oh, interesting. Uh, the the husband does the art, and the wife writes the really 
writes the story and maybe um, that's why it has an unusually holistic view of its female character yeah i think you can kind of tell um you know not even just having you know the influence of a woman on the writing but also like the the main couple definitely has like married couple vibes to how they sure. interact with each other and it's like all right that makes a lot of sense that kind of informs their dialogue and their relationship and like all right that kind of makes sense so also it's just this... go ahead g oh, i was gonna say you say this recent batch of episodes have like kept up the good vibes though yes so um yeah it's it's definitely been business with usual as usual with that um no no real complaints on any of the potentially problematic bits Sure. But more, uh, you know, people being dirtbags. I like that they've been doing the, uh, they've been doing like callbacks to previous episodes now that we're deep in, deeper into it. So we loop back around to the uh, the elf girl that they uh, accidentally killed her god and made her eat it. Um, and we find out that her life has been ruined since the last time we saw her, of course, and it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and so they team, they, they like begrudgingly team up to fight this like squid god thing. And he's like, you know, they get the like dramatic, we'll put aside our differences to defeat this, you know, whatever. And then, you know, you cut to the guy, the, uh, the guy tying a rope around her and th- just basically throwing her into, into the lake as bait for the squid, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Sure. So do they, eat, do they eat that? Do they eat that God too? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> they brutally murder and eat that thing. For, I didn't realize this was a God eater adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of uh, killing gods in this thing in a comical way, but uh, but yeah, no, that continues to be fun. So, uh, let's talk about Sabakui Bisco. Sure. Um, I feel I sorry, feel like... guys. I hated the last episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I... the show was like brought me back on board, and I was like, yeah. And then the latest episode happened, and I was like, what happened? Like, oh, no, 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 no. Easy so... come, easy go. Let me let me let me just recap. We we talked yes. about last episode how it felt like the party was coming together and like the the actual format of the series where we're going to go on these adventures from town to town. Right. You know, we're all right, we're we're locked in. We had a couple decent episodes. I feel we're feel, feeling pretty good about it. And then they just decide to just really accelerate the main plot. Yeah, to, in a frankly bizarre manner. The show's pacing is all over the place. Yeah, and they they do maybe this is kind of what you're talking about with orbital children zig where they kind of try to cash in on the character relationships without ever having the time to really like yeah them establish them so like in the latest episode everyone's kind of falling over themselves to sacrifice themselves to save the other person and it's supposed to be this like intense dramatic sequence of events because you know they've They've formed this close bond now, or whatever. And but let me guess, it just <laughs> right. It just kind of comes off as a comedic rush to die. Right. It's instead. like what if every member of the party had a murder complex, but we were only we had only just finished the first disc of this JRPG. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm going to literally poison you so that you can't go to this enemy right. base that I can go by myself and sacrifice and like, myself. I did get some vibes from this a few episodes ago when the 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 pink haired girl. Uh, you know, meets with them and has her heartfelt like explanation of her backstory or whatever. And I remember thinking then, like, it's a little early for this level of emotional like right. attachment between these characters. For some reason, the Tyrol episode actually kind of worked better for me 
maybe because, like, we already had the episode prior where she was antagonistic. Right. And so, like, the second time they run into her and she softens up a bit, I feel like... Yeah, that worked a little bit a little bit better, but it worked a I could bit see because like because also you were working on the assumption, well, she'll join the party and then she'll settle into like a comfortable dynamic. Right. But then, then that didn't happen. So. Didn't happen, right? <laughs> or at least not yet. I don't know. Yeah. Do we know if this is this going to be two core or is this just 12? Do we do we, we know yet? I think this is just one core which makes it all the more uh, Yeah, that's even more troubling cuz we're I mean, yeah. we're getting I I I haven't wanted to say this, but we're getting toward the end of the season already here. Yeah, um, sure are. Sure are. So, you know, they're kind of running out of time to clean this all up. And, you know, this show was never even great to me at any point. Like, it felt like it was moving in a good direction, like, for a couple yeah. episodes. But, like, I don't know. If if it were any other season, I would not... It's gone from I would watch this in a good season to... I would not watch this in a good season. <laughs> this, this, this would have gotten a pass in... Uh, I don't know, spring of 2021 or whatever. Oh, like definitely. <laughs> yeah, so... But, yeah, I don't it's, know. It's a bit of a shame because I still really like the vibes of this show. I really... Yeah. I, I, in theory, I like a lot of what it's doing. I do actually like that Milo and Bisco get along so well. Mm -hmm. like, yes. You know, them falling over each other like is kind of like weird and annoying, but like the idea that, oh, these two dudes just really, really They're like bros. each other. They're bros. I was like, that's... That's nice. Like, I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate a dynamic where, like... Because, for me, the thing that I thought was going to be fun about the, the, the dynamic, right? Especially if Tyrol and um, Pawu join. Yeah. Is, like, both Pawu and Tyrol have, like, weird antagonism towards Bisco and Milo. Yeah. But Bisco and Milo are just, like, so fucking chill with each other. <laughs> that, like, it would create Great. this, like, weird, interesting dynamic of, like, half the party is, like, here under, like, weird, tense circumstances, and the other half are just like, nah, bro, we're just going on adventures. And it's like, the, I thought yeah, they that could have been really fun. They could have done and a then, lot with that. And, and then, then they, they don't, don't do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yep. that's uh, the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. I'll keep watching. But, well, uh, look on the bright mm. side. At least so far, we've made it eight episodes in, and uh, Milo hasn't been revealed to be, like, you know, the long-lost genetic... Uh, no, uh, but didn't they, who... <laughs> didn't they reveal that Bisco's blood is like the antidote or something? Well, they, they, just, they, said, they just said mushroom keepers in general, right? So right. I assume it's like whatever the mushroom keepers... You know, at this point, I've just accepted that mushroom keepers are just this version's... Like, this, this this setting's version of witchers. <laughs> of just like... They're like, yeah. they're like modified on the genetic level by their mushroom arts, their mushroomancy. I don't know. Yeah. I still think that's going to set up some kind of... Maybe traumatic sacrifice or something because uh, I don't know how many I it's it's not really clear like how many other mushroom keepers are still left out there right other than the old man right and there yeah. seems to be one who's gone rogue and is actually causing problems right. yeah 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 I feel like I would be if this really is 12 episodes and I, I think we're just screwed but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's, I feel it's like that, it's that Sakugan feeling yeah. after eight episodes. It's a Sakugan, and you realize, oh no, yeah. this can't be salvaged. It's we haven't yeah, I feel, done anything yet. I feel like if this, I feel like this could be building up to like a mid-series climax. Uh, but <laughs> if if we have to end the episode, end the series, I mean, in you know three or four episodes or whatever, I I'm not feeling yeah, confident no. about that. <laughs> so, all right, uh, let's. Talk about uh -huh. ranking of kings. Uh -huh. Ah, milkshake duck the anime. Ooh, ah, 
Um, so, okay. We had some very intense episodes the past couple of episodes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess before we get into, I guess, some of the, the good things, but uh, there, there were some things that bothered me in one of these episodes mm-hmm. before we even get to some things that bothered other people beyond that. But uh, was it episode 19 was the first of the two? Or was it 18? I don't that. remember. Uh, we, we got... The latest episodes um, are 17 or, or, or no, 18 and no, 19. Yeah. It's 18 and 19. Okay, so maybe it was 18 because I think it was the first episode that we had the Moranjo flashback, right? Yes. Right. Um, so... I'll I'll try to summarize briefly, but the 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 flashback is to into Moranjo's past. Apparently, she was from this nation that was very advanced with magical powers, and they share benevolently share their magical secrets with this you know less let's say less advanced civilization, and you know that after the less advanced civilization, you know becomes their own advanced civilization they repay them by turning on them and you know murdering them all because they are fundamentally as a people uh you know um evil and deceitful and Craven will stab you in the Please stab you in the back to uh villainy and, right. and this this entire sequence just right away did not feel right to me and kind of bothered me because they very explicitly say it's the people that are bad it's not like Right. The government the thing, is bad, or like by people you this... mean like you don't mean a collection of people. You mean the rice, basically. Yes, right? yes basically. That's kind of what they're cult- this culture. Yeah, it's it's it definitely like kind of sat with me a little bit wrong because like Ranking of Kings up till now has been a show that is so much about like the power of empathy right. and the ability to yeah. like, understand the circumstances that lead to people performing right. selfish and evil actions, uh, right? I mean, this flashback is literally exists to explain why Moranjo became the person she right. is. Right. Literally every... Up till now, literally every single time the show has presented somebody as shady or, or you know, evil or whatever, it has then gone on to explore the, like, deep-seated reasons why... Right. right. Every why they want to do things and it's like and make them sympathetic. Yes, except for this flashback. Yeah, which felt very out of place, like you said, yeah. with the, the the themes that we've been had up to now. Right. Which you know we're deep into it. This is you know episode yeah. eighteen or yeah. whatever. Um. So, so right away that bothered me, and then I did want to mention there was an article that came out in ANN last week about, um resurfacing claims that this was an allegory for um, the Japanese colonization of Korea. And apparently these accusations came up in 2019 when this chapter of the manga came out. And it's resurfaced particularly, and I don't know if you guys read the article, but it resurfaced particularly with the anime because the background art they chose to depict this other civilization uh, looked somewhat suspiciously close to actual photos of like pre-colonization Korea, and didn't really. It certainly didn't do anything to dispel the claims that that's yeah. what this allegory. Yeah. So this is this is one was. of those tough things of. So when it comes to allegory and when it comes to like, you know, bias and portrayal of things, you know, obviously creators are human, right? And and creators 
make things using informed by their experiences and and knowledge of the world as a whole, right? You know, and I don't want to go as far as say like, you know, how do I put this? That seeing that says something about the reader or or whatever, right? Like you know, but. I don't know. It, it, it's a tough thing because, like, I, I guess I don't have enough well, context because I haven't yeah, read manga. Yeah, I, like, I think what I'll, – I'll just add what makes it even tougher is the author himself is not right. claimed well, or denied. I mean, the, author, the author wouldn't, right? I mean, surely right. the author is probably – Well, if, if it is true that the author was writing an allegory for Japanese-Korean relations – I, I mean, hopefully they would be prudent enough to not say that. But. I mean, if if I mean I we've seen crazier things. If that if yes. if he was really like the full on like Japanese right wing nationalist or whatever Attack thing, then he maybe he would. Yeah, like yeah, maybe he would double down on something like that or. Maybe. I don't know, and and you know maybe the most generous thing might be that he's just not connected to those allegations or whatever and just doesn't even know that that's ha- that's a thing that people are saying but um point is we have not heard any clarification on that from the author and, himself and i know that like it's a very different culture in japan and media has a very different relationship with creators and fans i, I would really have hoped that he would have at least denied it I, I, yeah, I mean that's kind of the. I, it doesn't help. I, I be saying something like not saying anything at all is also in some ways saying things sometimes, right? Yes. And just like I, it doesn't help. <laughs> I don't know how much and, worse it makes it, but it doesn't help. Yeah. And again, uh, I, I think, you know, I think the lack of comment is, is possibly a, you know. I don't necessarily want to say a cultural barrier because that implies that I know something about Japanese media culture and I, I really don't, but I think it's a possibility. Um, but I, I feel like a strong denial could have taken a lot of... It would have gone a long way. You know? And and it, Probably, to me, it's yeah. like... It's, it's weird because, like we said, it doesn't fit with everything else that the show has been trying to say. So, yeah. like, I, I think for me, that's kind of the main... You know, it, 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 that's that's the weird thing, but also kind of the thing I'm looking at is like, well, what is Ranking of Kings trying to tell us? And right. I don't think Ranking of Kings is trying to tell us that the, you know, the colonization of Korea was justified or whatever. But, uh, I, you know, I, I hate that we have to have that conversation. <laughs> it like, does suck for a show that is as, like, holistically good as Ranking of Kings to have something like this come up. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it it really is an unfortunate like kind of yeah because because cast on the show and otherwise and, it's been like my favorite thing I've watched in the past couple of years exactly. like and I think it's it's, it's still so is, good honestly. like I that is the tough thing about a work like this right is I mean again there is always going to be that like look a lot of people really loved Dragon Quest's music mm-hmm. okay yes. like. You understand what I'm yes. getting at here, and and like... I think you know I think an important step in anybody's, you know, in the maturation of anybody's relationship with media is the acceptance that sometimes good people make bad stuff and bad people make good stuff. Right, right. right. Like, I think that's and an important step in media literacy. And to me, you know, a lot of times when you get, and there are levels to it. I'm not making any blanket statements here. But yeah, yeah. When you get when you get 
creators that maybe have problematic point of views or whatever one of the main things i am looking at is okay well what is the work itself trying to say and how much is that informing what we're doing and i guess it's and and again there's levels there's levels to that because certain things like if you know depending on what that stance is then maybe i don't want anything to do with them but it's it's hard because like if this dude actually you know hypothetically is like a right-wing nationalist piece of shit he is also writing a story about the power of empathy and the power of love to overcome and it, like, yeah long-held resentments and hatred that and just doesn't add like, up <laughs> it's, it's hard right it's hard to square those away because like i can't I, I cannot look you know look maybe i'm a little maybe it's like i'm trying to like shield myself here because i really like ranking of mm-hmm. kings but like i cannot look at rank even with these allegations i can't like i can't retroactively look at ranking of kings and then suddenly be like oh actually those messages were like Right, you know, subversive right. and evil. Like, no, those messages are still as pure and holistic as they were even after discovering this. That's, that's the thing. That's what it, makes like internalizing some of this difficult. It it doesn't seem like a case like Attack on Titan, where like you <laughs> can clearly see those right. themes are structured throughout the right. skeleton exactly. of the story. Like that is know? the actual point of the story, is you know that that allegory or those you know themes that they're trying to do. Whereas this was part of you know, snuck into somebody's backstory, right? Like, right. And, you um, know, it, it's hard to say whether people are afflicted by uncon- unconscious cultural bias, you know? That's actually something I, mean, I kind of wanted to get into, yeah. right? Is that people write what they know. And again, I, I want to make this clear. I am not trying to, like, use this as a defense or a justification, but more that, you know, again, creators are human and humans are imperfect. And often when writers... I don't want to say take the easy way out, but when writers are, are you know, sometimes working, you know, when, when someone's creating a work, sometimes you, they will use the cultural shorthands that are immediately familiar. With them, I mean, you're right? creating a piece of mass media. At some yes. point, you want to surf on the surface of media consciousness. Right. Like, you right? think about, like, you know, again, this is not to say, you know, this is not a whataboutism. This is not trying to defend it. But, you know, if you think about, like, a lot of works from, say, before the 2000s, how did you how did you portray a uh, primitive culture? Loinskins, spears, right. bones through the nose, you know, face paint, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, even if it was a fictional primitive culture, these are the things you did. And this right. is not to defend that or say that's acceptable, but often these are the cultural shorthands that these creators were familiar with, and so those are going to be the things that they rely on to establish a certain tone in a work. Right. Right. Um, but those I, things, tough thing of like how, how those things evolve know, over time, though, right? Yes, like, yes. yeah, and, and that's you gotta. So, of course, that's that is to say that if this is the case, then this just means the dude is insensitive and ignorant instead of actively bigoted, <laughs> which is not necessarily a huge step up. Right, okay, but um, and I, you know, I think I think this should probably be the last thing because I think we've gone into it in quite a bit of depth. But the only thing, the the thing I wanted to say, you know, to sort of cap this off is. The reason this is a problem is because it is a problem which has been occurring with fairly alarming regularity in the last oh yeah five ten years you know that yeah. mm-hmm. you know quite a few uh purveyors of popular Japanese media be they video games manga anime uh, music whatever you know that there's definitely it's a problem which keeps happening and I think that preconditions us to be you know, to see the possibility again and again, you know, I don't even know the work so I'm not 
qualified in any way to say whether um, to say whether you know this is an example or not. But we've seen an awful lot of smoke, you know, and at, yeah. at some point, you know, you just sort of automatically assume that that means there's fire. Yeah, I think for me, and I, I, I so I do want to just add one more thing when I was summarizing. I, I forgot to mention the part where uh, not only did they get backstabbed, but now history is looking at them as, the you know, Ronjo's yeah. nation as the, the bad guys now, you know, many years later. And that's that that really starts to sound like the situation yeah, that, that, because um, that's that really start, seems to sound like the specific sort of nationalist right wing yes, arguments I, you hear I, I definitely get that and sure. but I think I think for me at this stage I mean it, I, it's I think it's vague enough where I, I, I'm willing to compartmentalize that but I, I hate that now you have to I'm on like course, high alert right? yeah. yeah yeah like now I'm like on alert to start looking for these things and I shouldn't have to do that in this story because it's yeah, so good no. Right. No, no work is perfect, you know. At the end of the yeah. day, it's it's that thing of like, and, you know you 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 become a fan of this medium, and yeah. And I think you know I, of... I think something else that's worth pointing out is again you know not personally, but from everything you've said, it sounds like that this is just not a very good piece of writing in general. Like it, it seems clumsy and in, in the flashback is weak. It's weird yeah. that it, yeah. It seems clumsy and broad in a way that the story has avoided. It primarily exists to give an explanation for Moranjo's behavior and how she and Boss became so closely uh, uh, intertwined with each other. Mm -hmm. Right. It gets to that point. You know, it's a means to an end. You get to that end. Yes, it's satisfying to watch Boss uh, uh, crunch people uh, 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 with his bare hands and stuff them into a bag, a bloody sack that he drags down the road. It's very satisfying, but also yes, it's, it's yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit clumsy. Um, and I guess carrying that over to actual discussion on the episode, I, I really don't want them to like one hundred percent redeem Aranjo here. I don't like, know if it's possible yeah, at this point. I guess is the thing. Yeah, like as she's done a lot story of is, very bad things, has, both in yes. the past and present. And like, <laughs> I feel like we're kind of heading in that direction. And mm, I don't know. We will see. We will see. Well, the, uh, four, the four knights going fucking balls out in episode yes. nineteen is really fucking <laughs> that was cool. cool, though. Holy so shit! So everybody, um, <laughs> everybody, like almost dying and. Our trip to the afterlife briefly to have some tearful uh, moments yeah, there. Thing, right, we even talk, so Was we Inferno talk about, Cop there? No, so, he might as well. He might have been, like, yeah. We, this is the thing that like fucking gets to me about all this is because we were just talking about all this stuff about our feelings about like you know the Mirage flashback, and then episode nineteen hits you with Kage having that conversation with his mom, yeah. which is like maybe one of the most fucking like. Heartrending things I've watched in fiction in in ages. Yep. Mm-hmm. The the they just yeah, and it just reminds you. Oh yes, yes, we're also very good, and we're right. like. And, and again, it's why that doesn't line up. Like, yeah. I, I don't so, you know. So I don't briefly, know. Like episode nineteen is about how everybody's getting killed, right? Like Oaken is going on a rampage. I can't believe Boji actually gets stabbed. Yeah, Boji gets fucking got. He gets stuck uh, straight up. And like they're in like what looks to be the afterlife, and then there's the river Styx, right? Uh-huh. And Kage sees his mom on the other side of the river, so he's about to cross it. 
And, and yeah, and he, he yeah. does the thing you expect in this kind of fiction of he remembers that there are people who are alive who still need him. And that as mm-hmm. much as he wishes he could be reunited with his mother, as much as he wishes he could just forget all of the just harsh, painful trauma that he's endured his whole life and like just Move on. let it yeah. all go, he can't because there are people who need him. There mm. are people he loves and he will continue to endure that pain and suffering for their sake. And it's a wonderful moment. It's when he's when he's like I'm gonna He's like he's like, I'll see you, but I'll probably be an old man. I'm like, oh <laughs> it's like oh, fucking Oh man. it's it fucking got me good. I was oh. good. Yeah, so I mean <laughs> And then we end, like you said, with the the four knights making their uh Right after after Domus, Apius, uh, uh, Dorsch, and and Bebin have just been fucking jobbing this whole fucking show, they no. finally get their shit together and fight as a unit, and it's the coolest fucking thing. I, they've done a good job of making Oken like truly intimidating. Right. Um. It's just uh, everything else is so good. I I hope yeah. I hope this is just a blip on the yeah. radar and we keep moving on. But uh, oh, man, <sighs> it's. Yeah. Yeah, just uh And and you know what I love the most about episode nineteen that uh that really kind of like sets the tone is that it's not the heroes who have a power of friendship moment to power up. <laughs> it's Oaken. Oaken powers up through the power of love and friendship. It's right? the, yes, somehow they've managed to, and it makes sense. Like somehow it they managed to pull that sense. off. Like, Oaken is getting his ass beat by the four knights. He's cornered. He seems to be on the ropes. They seem to have finally got him, you know, locked down. And then he's, he's the one who has the flashback to the kind words that Despo once told him about why Oaken will always be able to overcome his, his hardships. I will pay and these Oaken kind the words by brutally murdering these people and watching them die. Right. Uh, like you have Despa giving this really heartwarming speech about how he'll never like lo- he'll never stop loving his brother, about how he'll always believe in his brother to be the better man. Intersparse over this montage of Oaken just killing people. After right. he just it's... stabbed his brother. Uh, right. Yeah. His brother who was bleeding out on the ground over there, by the way. Uh, yeah. Just what a good, chilling moment that immediately sets the tone for why Oaken is such a great villain. So good. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we are kind of running out of time, but we can hit some of these backlog items real quick. All right. Uh, I did want to mention, uh, I have proceeded on to Thunderbolt Fantasy Season 2. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm trying okay. I'm trying to do two episodes a week, so I'm up to Episode 4. Nice. Um, I'll just say a couple... My, my main point, takeaway points are... Um, if the movie was Screaming Phoenix Killer doing nothing wrong, this is Shofukan doing everything wrong. Uh, <laughs> <Stop>. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, only trust your fists. The police will never help you. Thunderbolt Fantasy understands the shape of the universe because the first, the first character that Thunderbolt Fantasy has ever introduced that resembles law enforcement is the most craven, corrupt piece of shit. Like, maybe yeah. actually the most, like, amoral person. Like, the most vil- Like, the thing that's crazy is most of the villains in Thunderbolt Fantasy are, like, either zealots or megalomaniacs. Right. Right. Like, they believe in their God-given right to dominate the world. They're Bond villains. Like, they have class yeah. and honor uh, because, you know, they, they're they so certain of their victory. 
Shokyo Ken is just a fucking asshole. Dick. Like, yeah. He's just a dirtbag. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, it's great. I do. I do like, and we started seeing this in the movie, where they're like, okay, after season one, we know we can't just beat Shofukan and Rinsetsu because they're too powerful. Yes. And we're kind of finding other ways to, like, mm-hmm. subvert, uh, you know, to take them down in other ways. And um, and I like the new characters. We've got the, the guy with the talking, uh, I forget what you call that instrument. It's like I don't actually it, know what it it's is. like a Chinese lute, but there's a name for it. Yeah, I I, I can't remember it at the moment. It's not an ahu, is it? No, no I I I I'd, I'd like it's the thing I'd remember if I'd hear it, but it's like it's like a Chinese lute that talks, which is fantastic. And then um, the uh, the sad monk guy. <laughs> I don't I don't know what his oh, deal man. is yet, but oh man, <laughs> he's been interesting. Yeah, um, so. Still? Which one of them is TM Revolution? Uh, Rofuyo, the bard. The, the bard. Yeah. Okay, he, he's of course so he's, of course the bard is played by TM, TM Revolution, right. yes. but he, he he doesn't actually voice the the loot, right? Doesn't he? Does, or does he voice the? No, human? he plays the guy. He plays the guy. He plays right. The... Who rarely talks. Yes. Look, Ro, look. TM Revolution is a very busy man. Right. So he he only has like a couple lines here and there. It's mostly the loot talking, but yeah. Yes. The loot, amazingly voiced by Nana Mizuki, but no. <laughs> voiced by Katsuki Kanishi, I believe. Okay, that's pretty yeah. good. Pretty yeah. Good. So, Thunderbolt Fantasy still great. Hell of a show. It is funny. Like you're you're in the portion of season two where like it very much does feel like now that they've revealed that Shofukan is Superman. Now everybody's got fucking kryptonite in their back pocket. Yeah. Like, oh, we gotta do this. Like, yeah. I I brought my anti shofu con spray. My poison. <laughs> my 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 venomous uh, scorpions yeah. and uh, yeah. So, uh, you guys have anything you want to mention on your big O rewatch here? Um. Anything cool happened? So it I mean, just be cool. Or yeah, specifically I cool, I said. There's probably lots of cool things happening, but anything specific cool stuff. to mention. Uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of the last two episodes we just watched, which were, I believe, Piano, um, pianist six episode and, and this underwater episode, like yes. So, uh, episode six, uh, the legacy of Amadeus is, uh, it's just another solid, uh, you know, another solid episodic adventure. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. which I I appreciate. The the thing I'm beginning to realize watching stuff like Sabaqui Bisco is like, man. I just want a show where a problem gets introduced in an episode. And then solves at the end the, of the episode. <laughs> solves it by the end, right? Like, just a nice, self-contained adventure. I feel uh, like, and it's been a few years since I watched The Big O, but um, I feel like I don't remember so much the individual stories of that show as the vibe. Yep. You know, That's a good the, way the of putting atmosphere, it. The atmosphere, the... the just, just the general feeling yeah, of it. Definitely. Like, I, like, I've been telling Eero, like... I have just truly come to love how much Big O is just like okay. We have our pro- we have our we have our premise, we have our setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Roger Smith is Paradigm City's top negotiator. He solves crime. So now the writers are like, well, what's the crime? How can that crime be solved by a giant robot? And we'll work backwards from there. Yep. <laughs> so it, it definitely feels like the kind of. Sh- show that could have like existed on afternoon american television for like 300 episodes yes, at definitely. some point <laughs> uh you know so like the one of the episodes we watched is about a piano playing robot because the plot line is literally that roger smith can't stand dorothy's playing mm-hmm. because she only plays one song she only knows one song on the piano <laughs> and he hates it 
And so he hits up his old friend, a robot-playing android, to be like, Hey, can you teach her, like, some new music, please? And this culminates eventually in a dude who looks like a fucking, um, like a Mega Man villain. Yeah. Like, 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 like if Mega Man fought Dracula. <laughs> like if Dracula was in the Mega Man universe. Like, he, that's that has he to have happened like. at least once, right? And, like, you know, he's got a fucking sound cannon that can, like, obliterate <laughs> stuff. And, you know, it's it's just a lot of fun. And then the, the, the episode after that is a kind of a pseudo-bottle episode where, like, Roger and uh, Angel, Angel, yeah. your sort of uh, Fujiko Mine stand-in character, uh, kind of get trapped uh, underwater. Mm-hmm. And um, that episode is definitely kind of more just like a pure vibes one. It kind of gets into a little bit of, like, Roger and Angel's, like, relationship and personalities. But, uh... I guess the most notable thing that I had completely forgotten, they play the OP in that episode. Right, and, and, and like, for the battle, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the eighth episode. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, a little early, even, to, I mean, little early like, to bring in your OP. Kind of like guards Seven. bust up the opening for battles all the right. time. And, like, but that's, I guess that's what makes it feel a lot of fun, right? It yeah. felt like a, a, a like a, an intentional callback to that era of super robot anime, but, you know, within this noir setting. So it's playing, it's fucking, you know, uh, you know, uh, Queen's, you know, uh, the, the, the obvious Flash ripoff that is the OP uh-huh. as uh, Big O is, like, you know, pissed and punching this robot to death. It's great. It's it's just uh, I, just good vibes, yes. I don't I don't remember if I had Dorothy on my top anime robot girls list. She better be. I I honestly, I, I only remember I had Igus as number one. That's oh, sure, fair enough. Yeah. So. Dorothy, the thing that's fun about Dorothy, I mean, it's not the most unique character trait, but She's just always got a good fucking line to take Roger down a peg. Like, she's no an excellent what. straight woman. Like she's just always got something to say to fucking bring him down when he when he when he gets too uppity. Right. Um, All right. Yeah. Uh, anything of note on your on the uh, gun sword? The, that show is totally all over the place. All man. over the place. Yeah. What the fuck? There man? was we've got to they show up at some like resort beach town and. Yes, it's this wacky comedy oh, you got episode to the, uh, where you got to the beach episode. These two losers yeah. keep chasing yeah, you're, them you're, down. You're Jesse and James, like loser criminals right. who are like way out and of they're, their. They're depth. just in some stupid tricked out car, but they keep calling it a, a mech. An armor. Yeah, they're like, yeah. "We'll get you with our armor," and it's just this car with like honky horns on the sides yes, and yes, shit. It. And so right, so they, right, <laughs> so he keeps going like this, right? Like, so like so so Van. And, and like Van never like never summons the robot, right? Because it's not an armor. He doesn't need to summon Dan a Thursday to fight it. <laughs> it's car. still at the car, very yeah. end of the episode where it's revealed that the the girl in the couple, the the the, the criminal couple, is the daughter of like a, a mob boss, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, Van Van fights the mob boss, you know, for reasons. And the mob boss is like, "Well, let me show you my armor," and. Van gets kind of excited because, oh, finally, somebody in this episode actually has a giant robot. Is it just a, another car? It's just another car! <laughs> That's pretty good. And the best thing about it is, so Van's iconic thing mm-hmm. is that when he summons Dana Thursday, so he wears a big cowboy hat, a wide-brimmed cowboy right, hat right, with right, a right, ring right. in it, right? And when he summons Dan, what he does is he puts his finger in the ring and he slides his hat 180 degrees. Right, he rotates you know, his so hat. The ring yeah, yeah, he rotates the hat, so, like, from one end to the other, right? This dude fucking he... Kaikatsu Zubat? Yeah, kind of. So that's Basically, how he yeah. Dan and Thursday, right? So, 
when the mob boss is like, ah, it's time for you to face my armor. Vance like, finally, and puts his finger in the in the ring, slides it around, and then the car shows up, and they just reverse the animation. Very good. <laughs> and that's the, the, that's I, the I, kind I, of thing you were not getting in back arrow. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I kind of feel like the only the only thing I like more than that trope is the subsequent trope where it's revealed the car is in fact insanely powerful and has like a that, nuclear that bomb would, in it or something. That would have been pretty good, but yes, the van is like, ugh, whatever, and just yes, just effortlessly cuts the car down again. It's just like So that's one episode of the two we uh-huh. watched. <laughs> And then, uh, meanwhile, yes. and Eero, and then the next episode. What happened is in the just next like, episode? They <laughs> there's first of all, there's the cliffhanger because Van is searching for the man who killed his wife, the man with the yes, claw, right. and so he they're at some cafe <laughs> at the beach town, and he's like, "Have yeah. you seen a man with a claw?" And the waiter's just like, "Oh yeah, he's eating lunch right over there." And they t- turn, and it's just a table where someone has left probably thirty seconds ago. Yes. And he's like, ah, the man with the claw! And then they just cut and it's screaming Phoenix Killer walking away. Well, it's like, oh, he got in a boat. But of course, it's a beach town and there's like 30 boats leaving. Uh, right, so he doesn't know which one to anyway, follow. So, yes, then the next episode is they got on some, they got in a boat and they get stranded on some resort island or something. And it's this extremely slow-paced, quiet, like... Yes. They they meet they meet the Lord of the Manor, a man named Joe, who lives by himself and his servants on this remote island. Mm-hmm. And the whole episode is like this very twank, tranquil like in meditation on the nature of revenge, yeah. and like the idea of like the meaning of it, and like does it who does it who does it exist to satisfy? And like the whole time, Joe is like trying to be like, you know, Van, I too once you know went on a quest for uh-huh, revenge. And it left and- me empty. Yes, I may live in this luxurious mansion, but emotionally I'm dead inside. Are you sure, you know, are you sure that's what you want for yourself, Van? Until the end of the episode where it reveals that Joe is actually an agent of the Claw right. and was purposely trying to erode Van's, like, <laughs> like Resolve. will to fight. Yeah. Right. And so it ends in a big robot fight again. Yep, of course. <laughs> but it's Completely really different tone than the previous yeah, episode. it's just... The show is all over... I mean, in the way that a lot of 2000s anime were, right? Of just, like, shotgun blast of just... Whatever the writers are in the mood to try writing this week, mm-hmm. you know, they're they'll 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 just try it. You know, it's yeah, it's a lot. It's fun, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I largely prefer the comedic episodes to the serious episodes. Yeah, right. The serious episodes are maybe trying a little too hard in a way that is beyond Goro Tanaguchi's depth. But right. Boy, those funny episodes. <laughs> He's a funny dude. I I, I, I always forget, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, the man's known for stuff like Code Geass and stuff. Even like, Code Geass had the, like, we're making a giant pizza, pizza episode. Yes, yes. Right. Gotta catch the cat. Yep. Yeah, he, he is a... Dude has a really solid knack for humor when he wants to. Yeah. All right. And, uh... Zig, you added. Uh, are you are you watching an old common uh, writer? We are. We are. Uh, this is interesting. This is we. Uh, Iro, Aqua, and I have been watching Common Rider Kuga, which is the first common rider of the Heisei era. It premiered oh, in the year two thousand. Um, and this is. In, I've seen it before, for the record. Um, okay. And the interesting thing about this thing is that it is the show which effectively began the modern era of Kamen Rider, because before this, there had not been a Kamen Rider TV show in 11 years. Right, there was a big um, break, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. There were three made-for-TV movies, but... Um, 
And this thing is like, it's probably the closest thing in the entire Kamen Rider franchise to a true sacred cow. It is like universally beloved. Right. It is, you know, the series which rescued Kamen Rider and brought it into the new age. You know, it is, uh, it definitely spawned the biggest uh, star to emerge from the series, Joe Odagiri, who went on to become a legitimate movie star. And uh, it's really interesting to go back and watch it again. And I think perhaps Iroh would have some more insightful things to say about it than I. I mean, you were the one who knows more about it than I. But... Right, but, well, but that's, new, right, so. right, that, that's why I, I, I am interested to hear uh, it is, It's yeah. interesting, to be sure. It, it definitely feels like now Kamen Rider, my experience with Kamen Rider is all like glitzy power-ups all over the place jingles very toyetic <laughs> uh and this kuga is definitely less so it takes itself a lot more self-seriously i would say like not that the he does not there's still obviously toys uh his weapons well, yeah. are like <laughs> here's this gun-shaped object uh that's made of plastic and don't you want don't you want it kids you can pretend to shoot the baddies <laughs> but um Otherwise, it's kind of... In, it's interesting to see, like... It's probably unfair of me to call more primitive uh, stars, but... Uh, I think that's I think that's fair, at least from a technical standpoint. Right. You could, yeah. I guess you could see the... I mean, is it a case of where, like, you see how we got from here to where we are yeah, now? Yeah, it's a lot less flashy, and I think... In a lot of ways, that's that can be good, but in other ways, it's not as good. Is it uh, sort of the thing of like you can watch Kuga and then you look at the other parts, the other ones you have seen, and say, "Oh, that's where this comes from," or like, "Oh, like that's like." I guess so. Is it, I mean, I, I guess I'm just curious, like if it's if it's I mean, that uh, sort of uh, like foundational work. I would say stylistically, it is much closer to being a Showa era yes. show than a Heisei era show. You know? Half of Not the show is about it was, the cops trying to sh- yeah, shoot the it monsters. Is, so. A lot of it is a police procedural. People die by the bucket load. We are up to like three or four hundred people dead, and we're only I'm, about I'm twelve that. episodes if, in. If Kuga is seen as like a sacred cow. How come they haven't like tried to go for that tone more often recently? Is it just like it's, it's out of it's out of mode? It's not popular. Didn't anymore. sell enough toys. Yeah, right. that's that's kind of it. Like, is it the thing of they, like fans loved Kuga, but Kuga didn't sell a lot of toys or something? Well, it's just that they found much more efficient ways to maximize their right, return. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, Carmen okay. Rider was doing gacha shit years before gacha <laughs> shit was popular <laughs> mm, in sure. video games and stuff, you know. But also, like, it's worth pointing out that um, although he passed away quite early on in the pro- in the production, this was the last show that had any input by Ishinomori personally. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, he. I, I he Helped. know that actually yeah he he helped he wrote the basic concept and helped draft some of the early episodes That's cool you know um there's there's a dedication to his memory before the first episode and also i think you know it is deliberately a throwback because it was trying to play on people's nostalgia right mm. like i would say in general it is much less kid focused that is to say it is still a children's show it is absolutely still a show for children but but they are 
you know, they are trying to leverage their their history in right. interesting ways. And also, the production is just so much more basic than That's a lot of handheld than cameras. it subsequently became. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of shaky handheld cam. You know, some very rough CGI um, and all that stuff. But it is it's very different. And like Iroh made this point, is that it's not necessarily that the that they were limited by um, what they could do because Super Sentai was going on at the same time and Super Sentai from that era has fantastically flashy choreography and crazy battles and shit like that, you know. Um, but it, it's it's almost... It's painfully earnest a lot of the time, you know. It, it is it is not... It doesn't really have any level of, like, the, the knowing self-humour or camp value that a lot of Toku relies on because, you know, a lot of Toku relies on the premise that it is inherently a completely ridiculous right. thing and you know it right. and we know it and you know we're all kind of nodding and winking and playing along with the joke here there's not a lot of that I th- here I th- and i think, I that's think... Been the big barrier for me for kuga right uh so so ira you're saying you prefer it to be more kind of uh i guess silly i think so on the on the broad flashy maybe yeah my with my childish attention span um <laughs> I think something I've also run up in, against is like now when the monster obviously this is more kid showy but now like when the monsters show up they're kind of you have the little episodic plots of oh no it's the the monster this time and here's how it's related to the stuff I hand and we'll beat up the monster and in Kuga it's like all the monsters are doing their own thing and literally don't speak uh, Japanese and so it's i assume it's playing a long game about their motivations and stuff but it's like kind i don't of. feel like the monsters have any relation to the plot other than there are monsters it's here. just a thing for the heroes to do yeah while they are and instead we'll have like this plot. long plot about like his kuga's you know childhood teacher who you know inspired him and sure it's this interesting character piece about this teacher and all that, but like, I don't think it's not really it, why you're watching. It doesn't have anything Kamen to do with anything else, right? Like, it's so self-contained. All right. And I'm like, okay. what is, right. why and, are we doing uh, this for? Like, the the thing I would say there is, I think you know, I completely agree with you, and I think that is a weakness of the show. I think it is another reflection of the Showa era tendency of individual monsters to be disposable because they were working for some evil organization, which right. was always. You know, it's never like you never have Carmen Rider versus you know so and so. It is always Shocker or yeah, you yeah. know the Government of Darkness or whatever. You know, and and I I think you know going back to it, I I still enjoy it a great deal. But it is fascinating to watch from kind of like a historical perspective as well. And and right. I think that is is perhaps the most value I'm getting out of this rewatch. So I, I think we're going to continue and, and see where it takes us. I mean, I know, obviously, mm-hmm. but I'm interested to see where it takes me in terms of my feelings about the show. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like, it, at the very least, is a historical uh, yes. reference yeah. watching might be uh, interesting. But yeah. There is also one extremely disconcerting thing about it, is it because it was filmed in 2000, it was filmed in uh, 30 frames per second interlaced video, hmm. which means that if you turn that into progressive scanned video, it's 60 frames per second. 
So it is uh, very weird to see sure. that. Sure. Yeah. Huh. It's it's a little. It makes everything look that much cheaper, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of a problem when everything looks cheap to begin with, anyway. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 enjoying going back. I hope Iro is getting something interesting out of it in terms of seeing it for the first time. You know, I think we'll continue. All right. Well. That is the end of our list. We had so much to talk about here. Uh, yeah. Somehow we have managed this season where we had no no <laughs> anime. We every episode we've found plenty to talk about for sure. We just branch out a little bit. To ramble um, I don't want to. I don't want to tell everybody now, but next episode will probably be the season preview for next season. Oh, oh boy, good. we're there already. So stay tuned for that, everybody. Um, let's do our normal housekeeping. Uh, you can check us out at theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and, of course, YouTube. You can like, comment, subscribe, ring that bell, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and we'll catch you over next time. No fear, no pain. <laughs> <laughs>